You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Barry Zverluga from the Washington Post is going to be my guest here shortly. We're going to talk to Barry about a lot of things, including the Caps Islander series and some bigger issue topics with the Capitals, uh, knowing and understanding that many of you will either be watching the game uh, when this podcast is out or perhaps will listen to it after you've watched game one uh, this afternoon. I'm going to get to the announcement later on in the show uh, that the Washington football team put out uh, about no fans at FedEx Field. I wanted to open the show with the news about the new Washington football team radio broadcast booth. Um, as most of you know, Julie Donaldson, who was at NBC Sports Washington, was hired by the team a few weeks ago. Um, she's the senior vice president of media. Uh, one of her first responsibilities was to put together the new radio broadcast booth. Larry Michael uh, retired. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of speculation or, uh, about what the booth would be. And many of you certainly reached out to me about Cooley and about Doc and about what their roles would be and would they remain a part of the broadcast booth. And many of you were very kind in suggesting that I could be, you know, uh, someone that would be considered to be the play-by-play guy for that radio booth. Um, they made the announcement yesterday that Bram Weinstein, D'Angelo Hall, and Julie Donaldson will be the new booth. So no more Doc, no more uh, Cooley, um, and yours truly was not hired to do the job. I had conversations with them. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't have any conversations with Julie. Um, had conversations with Terry Bateman, who I've known for a while. Um, but they were going for a different booth. Um, in the uh, in the story in the post, there's a paragraph that reads, the new broadcast will be more interactive, involving fans, and will include references to pop culture and players' social media accounts in the hope of drawing a new and diverse audience. Um, I actually think I would have been pretty good on the pop culture stuff. Uh, not so much on the players' social media accounts. Um, but they were going for something different. Now, Bram's 47 years old, and Julie's 42, <laughs> And D. Hall is 37 or 38 years old. So it's not exactly the youngest booth uh, in the league um, or uh, if they were looking for that direction. But I want to begin with this because I'm going to get to my feelings about Doc and Cooley not being in the booth in a moment. I'm really happy for Bram. Bram's a friend of mine. A lot of us have worked with Bram over the years. Bram and I worked very closely together when Red Zebra, the Dan Snyder Investment Company, bought some radio stations and launched, um, you know, basically the first competitor to 980. Bram and I were both hired. We were two of the first three hires along with Rigo. The three of us were probably the, the top, th- the first three hires of that radio station. Bram and I did shows together. We hosted the pregame show together for a few years. He then went to ESPN, and I thought he was excellent on television, Um, and I'm happy for Bram, Um, really happy for him. He's been a lifelong fan. Uh, He did some play-by-play at ESPN on television, Um, but uh, most of us that have known Bram for a while, um, I think would all tell you um, in a genuine, sincere way that, uh, you know, even if we, even if some of us had 
um, aspirations to get that job on her own. And I'm not just speaking about myself, but others like Scott Jackson certainly could have done this. Al Galdi certainly would have been a great choice uh, as well. Um, but anyway, um, I think all of us um, like Bram and are happy um, that it, that uh, that he's going to get this opportunity. I actually also think D'Angelo Hall will be very good. I do. I, I think D. Hall is you know has been an incredible um, athlete in this town in that he came in as Miangelo Hall and wasn't necessarily well thought of and just completely turned his reputation around and became a leader of the team that he was on. And I just think we saw him in so many ways mature and grow up before our very eyes. I've always liked D'Angelo Hall. Um, I think he's smart. I think he's got a great personality. I think he knows the game. I think he'll be good. Julie was hired to be the senior vice president of media a few weeks ago to replace Larry Michael. She's going to be a part of this broadcast. They're going for something different, um, and that's their goal. Um, going for something different uh, in this effort. They want to you know, involve fans and social media, and they want to try to draw a new and diverse audience. Good luck to them on that. Um, the bottom line with radio and sports play-by-play is that you know, it's not right now something that young people have gravitated towards. They can watch these games on their phone. They can follow these games in short video snippets on their phone. Um, the audience for radio sports play-by-play is an older audience. And where that audience still exists in volume is in places where teams are winning. You know, you, in many ways, you don't have to totally rethink all of this stuff. Your team's got to win. And I, I, I'm sure they will create some new and innovative things that will attract some, but it ain't that hard. If the team is really good, they've got a chance of increasing their audience. If the team continues to stink, it's going to be really hard no matter, no matter how many social media accounts they reference during a broadcast to generate a new audience. Um, I'm happy for Bram. I think D'Angelo will be great. Um, and Julie's going to be, you know, I, I have no idea what her role will be in this booth, um, but I wish her the best as well. Now, Doc and Cooley were the reasons anybody was listening to this broadcast over the last few years. Doc has been a mainstay on this broadcast. His sense of humor, his personality has been a major draw. Um, you've always known where Doc stood. He had great access being on the sideline. Listen, be, you know, Doc's been a talk show host on radio for a long time. Doc also was the number one analyst on ACC football games for many years. Did lots of games on Westwood One Radio. Doc's been calling games, whether in the booth or on the sideline, for a long period of time now. And he's good at it. He's really good at it. In fact, I've always felt that Doc should have been doing this at an even higher level. It's perfect for him, and it's perfectly suited for his personality, and that broadcast will miss uh, my friend Doc Walker. It will. Cooley, totally unique when he came into that booth in 2013 with Sonny and Larry, with Doc on the sideline. Unique in the way that Tony Romo is perceived to have totally changed the way NFL football games are analyzed by the lead analyst. Cooley was doing what Tony Romo was doing before Tony Romo was doing it. The problem is that nobody's following local radio play-by-play. So if Cooley had been doing that on television, he would have been considered, you know, a pioneer. 
Cooley was calling out plays before they happened day one. Cooley was analyzing plays in a way in which we really hadn't heard. Look, my favorite broadcast team of all time is Frank, Sonny, and Sam. And one of the reasons I love that booth is Frank was really good and Sonny and Sam were really good. They had incredible chemistry and the team was winning and they were winning big. Um, And that will always be, I think, for many of us, our favorite local broadcast, radio broadcast team. Um, Cooley was phenomenal. And, you know, the reaction to the new booth um, is, I thought, overwhelmingly, based on what I could see, was more about Doc and Cooley not being there anymore than about the new people that are. And that's probably always the case. You know, it's a very subjective thing. Um, All of this stuff that we do is very subjective. You know, people, some people really love it. Some people really hate it. Some people feel one way one day and the opposite the next. Um, But when it comes to a long-time booth, you know, with a big-time organization, the new guys are going to, you know, they're going to be scrutinized early on, and the old guys are going to be missed. Um, Doc and Cooley are going to be missed terribly um, from that broadcast. I, I personally believe that the number of people listening, and it had decreased in the last few years, those that were listening were listening for the two of them period. Um, I talked to Cooley last night. He's going to come on radio with me tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. on 980 uh, a.m. and 95.9 FM. So tune in for that. But, you know, he is excited for D'Angelo Hall and thinks that D. Hall is going to be great, but he'll have more to say tomorrow. But Cooley's not a bitter person in that way. Um, And, you know, he's always on to the next thing anyway. He really is a not look back um, person. Uh, so, uh, he'll be just fine. All right, let's get to Barry's Verluga. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Manscaped guys. If you're getting ready to head out on vacation, uh, to a beach Manscaped's here to ensure your post quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. And they have forever changed the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. The perfect package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a below-the-belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step and for you to smell great. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months so there's an automatic replenishment to it as well. For a limited time right now, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor. Use the right tools for the job, guys. You'll get 20% off. You'll get free shipping if you use the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. For a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. 
All right, let's bring in Barry's Verluga, uh, who, of course, is a columnist for the Washington Post and one of my favorites in town by miles. Um, there's just so many things going on this week that made me think of calling you to have you on the podcast because you write extensively about the Nats, about the Caps, about college sports, about, you know, the Washington football team and so many things. And it seems like, you know, in an era of few sports or just return sports, there's just a lot of stories going on. And I thought we could touch on several of them. And we'll start with the Caps, who get their playoff series with the Islanders underway this afternoon. Now, some of you who are listening to this, the game will either be underway or perhaps already played. So I'll try to stick with a discussion that isn't dated by the time you listen to this. But Barry, you know, there's nothing normal about the times that we're living in, the way sports are being played or or not played. And I'm wondering if you think this means there's less pressure on Todd Reardon to win a series in his second year, especially a series against Barry Trotz. Yeah, I kind of do, Kevin. I think that whatever the spectrum we look at these playoffs through, and, and you know, we're talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs, but you could put that over the baseball season or even in a way the NFL season to, to come, um, kind of pressure and expectations have to be kind of modified um, because of the extraordinary circumstances. If, if this was Caps versus Islanders, Reardon versus Trotz, and there were going to be 18,500 people at Cap One Arena for Game 1, I think there would be a tension in the air, not that rivaled those old, you know, really tense buildings that, that we've talked about a million times before the Caps won the Cup when you know, there was so much pressure on, on Alex Ovechkin and um, that crew to push past Pittsburgh. All of those things have been overcome. But one thing that still lingers in the minds of, you know, ardent Caps fans is the guy who won the cup behind the bench was let go that, that, that summer and is now coaching a team uh, against them in the playoffs. And the, his former assistant, who now runs the Capitals, um, took essentially the same roster and lost in seven games to um, Carolina last year in the in the first round um, in what was you know a decided up, upset. Yeah. But it, I have to believe that in a series with no real home ice advantage, with no fans that are making it more or less tense, um, with all the games being played in Toronto, that there's an edge that's lost and that that you know, puts less of a focus on on Reardon and whether he can push past his, his old boss and more of a focus on, wow, this is weird, and I'm not sure we're going to get to a point during these playoffs where it just feels completely normal. Yeah, I'm not so sure that in, you know, all of these sports right now, everybody doesn't get some level of a mulligan. Um, but it is an interesting first-run matchup. And, you know, Barry Trotz, gets this franchise so cursed for so long, gets them over the hump, they win a Stanley Cup, and it doesn't work out. And I don't know how to simply put why it didn't work out. I think my default has always been the Caps were penny-wise and pound-foolish, and they stood on some level of principle that was silly. Do you agree with that? Is that the right way to characterize what happened? So I probably 
am on the other side of this. Okay. Um, and and I'll tell you why. It's for some pretty specific reasons. During that year of 2017-18, um, there were two very specific points during the year where it was pretty simple. If, if Barry Trotz lost that game that night, he was going to be replaced. Um, one was uh, around November. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, November. And then there was one in February um, where they actually beat San Jose in San Jose, which they hadn't hadn't done um, before. And and you know, to his credit, he um, you know was very steadfast. He um, prior to the game in November, um, he had a big tongue lashing that was in Denver after two really lackluster performances. And and you know whether it was because of his coaching or, or not, they the Caps turned it around. And then he really coached with some freedom in. Um, the playoffs because he he didn't have a deal um, beyond that year and I, my belief was they were they you know if they had lost to Pittsburgh in the second round it was a pretty easy choice they were they were not going to bring him back when he won the cup it triggered a we didn't know about this at the time but winning the cup triggered a, a one year extension um, for Trotz. Now, they were going to work on a longer-term thing, but he had negotiated that. So that was his terms. If, if we win the Cup, then um, I can't remember if it was one year at $4 million or $5 million, something like that. Um, his thought was, given his extraordinary regular season success, both in Washington and in Nashville, um, he's up there on the all-time victories uh, list, um, and now with postseason success, that he should be paid uh, amongst the top five or eight coaches in the in the league, um, the people making these decisions, you know, Brian McClellan, the GM, and others, couldn't recommend to ownership that um, he's worth, you know, five years at uh, six or seven million dollars a year. They just didn't feel like they could do that in in good conscience. Now, were they working toward a solution? They thought they were. Trotz then, because the the um, the option had kicked in. He he resigned the position. So is that semantics? Probably, but I, I do kind of understand the process that they got to kind of an unusual outcome, um, and Reardon became the coach. Is it fair to say though that it didn't end amicably and that there's bad blood or not? You know, I think certainly when Trotz was snapped up by the Islanders really quickly and you knew he was going to get a job, he just won the Stanley Cup and, and he's had, as I said, an amazing regular season record. Um, I think he felt disrespected um, because, you know, he, he thought his credentials were, I am now on the plane of a Joel Quenville or, or um you know, some of the upper echelon uh, NHL coaches. And you can have a, dis- uh, a disagreement about whether whether that's the case. Is it the case? Uh, Do I, you believe it's the case? Like, where would you put him, like, just on a top whatever list? So, okay, so here's what I would say. is uh, I do not understand the X's and O's of hockey as well as I would <laughs> right, baseball or yeah. in the NFL. So, so in, in talking to people, um, they – they feel like he's very good in the room and good for setting. And, and for what he came here to do, which was change the culture, and, and which is a phrase I don't want to lean on too much, but, but have some people be accountable, including the captain, number eight, 
the best player in franchise history, and, and really set up a system that overhauled how the locker room worked. He, he did that perfectly. People would tell me, and this is beyond my grasp, that um, his X's and O's weren't always great, and his in-game adjustments weren't always great. I've got to rely on other people to say that. I can't, you know, if I sure. if I'm looking at Mark Turgeon or, or Dave Martinez, I feel much more um, comfortable making that assessment myself. So uh, there's a, you know, in this market, it's not Toronto uh, for ho- hockey. The media um, isn't quite as Right, uh, capable of assessing those. We don't, we don't obsess over the pregame and the postgame um, like we do with other sports. And it's funny, I'm, we're, we're getting sidetracked here, but I'm always um, asked about why you know sometimes, especially during the fall or winter in hockey season, why we won't spend more time on it on radio. And I've always explained. Look, first of all, the playoffs are a different story. We've always treated it differently, but. People don't know hockey. They feel like they know football, basketball, and baseball. So they obsess over why they didn't go for the fourth and three, or why they call the timeout. You know, uh, you know why why Mark Turgeon called the timeout at the certain time that he did, or why they decided to sack Bunt in a certain situation. People feel like they have an understanding, but this isn't a natural you know, uh, understanding of hockey area. It just never has been. So when in talk radio, Barry, when people don't obsess over the pregame or the postgame, you end up with a lot of, man, I just hope they really play hard. You know, it's, right. and that's the conversation, right. unfortunately. I mean, I think there's some level of hockey and now it's grown hockey fandom that well, but that, that is, instinctive like you know is the power play working well are they moving the puck are they creating chances like there's some stuff that just sure viscerally you can understand they looked last lackluster they were disorganized um you can understand those things without understanding the x's and o's of, of hockey systems um but once you get to that next level analysis that i think you know around here with the football team has certainly always been the case and over the 15 years that the baseball team has been in in town back in town um that has you know fans have become smarter but more educated understand matchups um and you know it's always been kind of a, a basketball town so you know it's, it's the pro team or the college teams are any good i think people um really are able to break it down and want to break it down it just that just hasn't been i'm not saying there aren't fans who love breaking down x's and o's of hockey because there are it's just not the preponderance That's of people right. um, who are our readership or listenership. Yeah, there there isn't a significant number of people that are going to tell you they should have gone to that one three one trapping, um, you know, zone defense um, at that right. point. But it, it it is funny because I think as sports fans, especially in the postseason, and I enjoy postseason hockey. You know, there are observations you make that aren't that far off. I mean, like you know, a couple that you just mentioned. I, I remember when they played Toronto a few years ago. It was striking how much faster Toronto was and uh, to try to figure out how it was that the Caps got through that series um, was interesting but anyway we're, we're getting into not an area that that is super comfortable for me and maybe not even for you either but back to bad blood do Ted and Barry Trotz are they on each other's Christmas card list no but I don't think they're like putting a stink bomb under their doormat either I mean I, I think there's uh, uh, an understanding that, um, yeah, would Trotz have wanted to be um, 
I think the phrase that he would probably use is, is more respected, shown the respect for, for his accomplishments. Um, but again, I think from a hockey operations standpoint, um, this was a, a business decision. You, you know, Kevin, like if you make a recommendation for somebody, um, if you're putting your rep, reputation on the line too. So the folks in the hockey front office who are having to say to ownership, yes, I think we should go five more years with a guy that we almost fired twice during the season. Um, I see the logic there. I see both sides of this one. Uh, and is there, is there a little edge for, for trots? I'm sure there, I'm sure there is, there's gotta be. And he has enormous respect for so many of that core that, um, that helped make him a Stanley cup, uh, winning coach. But I don't think maybe I'm wrong. I don't think after he stops answering the questions about that, um, that this series is going to be just completely about Barry Trotz's bad blood with, with Washington. I think he's super happy with what they accomplished here. Um, and he's got a, a new, very different team that he's kind of maxing out talent-wise. Um, certainly the Capitals are the more talented team here. That doesn't always mean they'll win in hockey, but um, Trotz can kind of cast himself as an underdog uh, and, and try to coach his team against um, a team and a system that he knows really, really well. So I was talking to Tark um, this morning, Tark Elbashir, um, about yep. the um, about Ovechkin and this, you know, the the proverbial is the window closing, et cetera. And he mentioned something to me that was uh, interesting because I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this as, as it applies to hockey, and that is the business environment around hockey and how – important gate and attendances to the uh, financial model in hockey and that more likely than not as they look towards the next season there won't be more likely than not fans or certain enough it's certainly at this point enough fans and that the survival of some of these teams could actually be in a bit of jeopardy and so this playoff bubble in Toronto uh, the two bubbles and Edmonton you know that they there could be the possibility of no season next year, and this could be the last legitimate run for Ovechkin for Backstrom. Have you thought about it that way? I haven't, um, and I'm not saying that that makes Tark wrong in in any way. He's um, he's covered the league uh, a lot more and a lot more intensely than than I have, and, and for longer. Um, what I would say is that. Uh, you know, one, they have signed Backstrom to an, an extension. And my understanding of this whole operation is that this team, to the extent it belongs to anybody other than Ted Leonsis, belongs to Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. And that um, in a very kind of un-New England Patriots kind of way, um, they are not going to let Alex Ovechkin finish his career in another uniform. Now, I, that all of that, what I just said, is reporting from pre-pandemic, um, but I don't think that this the, the pandemic and, and playing without fans changes the very fundamental statement that Alex Ovechkin as Batman and, and Nick Bastrom as, as Robin rebuilt hockey and established in this town in a way that will be appreciated um, for essentially forever and that, and that um, 
they're not going to allow this very, very significant blip of a, of a fanless season change that kind of foundation. They have a, a deep-pocketed owner who, um, whatever you think of, of <laughs> Ted, um, I think his stewardship of the franchise is hard to argue with when you look at the big picture, um, it's for, certainly on the hockey side. Uh, and I, I don't see a scenario where, one, the caps don't exist because they, they are in better shape than a lot of uh, NHL teams, yeah. and, and two, that they, they exist without Alex Ovechkin for the rest of whatever his career is going to be. And, and I think really what he was driving at more was that without a hockey season in 2021, which is a possibility if they can't have fans, then you're talking about perhaps a 36-year-old Alex Ovechkin when he gets to his next postseason game after those that are played in Toronto here over the next couple of weeks and whether or not his personal you know window even though it's it sounds so cliche but maybe this is the real opportunity for them to 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 go win another cup or to go really deep yeah for sure i i mean and that part makes makes sense to me and I, you know um, if you want to extend that core out, I mean, Braden Holpe is sure. the cup-winning goalie and made the save, and that might be the signature moment along, along with Kuznetsov's goal against Pittsburgh of that, that whole run. Um, he is a free agent to be, and um, you know, there's a high likelihood that they will not be able to sign him, um, and particularly because after coming off his kind of worst statistical regular season that was interrupted, um, if he gets hot in the playoffs and for them to go deep, he's going to have to be the best version of himself. Then he reestablishes his marketability. Uh, and therefore, um, you know, you would be entrusting the net to uh, Ilya Samsonov, a, a young, talented goalie, but uh, unproven. Um, does that lessen the chance that, uh, Ovechkin can win going forward because you don't have that stalwart that Holpe has been over over the entirety of his career. I mean, you know, the, the end result, Kevin, is Alex Ovechkin has done this a long time at a very high level that can't happen forever. Um, the core around him is skews more old than it does young. Um, you know, TJ Oshie uh, isn't uh, super young anymore. Even John Carlson is not young um, you know, the, the, you know, is there a Jacob Rana, uh, you know, kind of on the early part of his career? Sure. But, but overall, this is not the guys you would consider the core are, um, on the downside of their careers rather than the upside. Um, and that puzzle, when you look at it financially means it's harder to add talented, expensive, uh, on the rise yeah. players, uh, because you, you, you're up against the cap with, with what you've considered your core for such a long time. All right, last one on the Capitals. I mean, even though it's possible people will be listening to this tonight after game one's played, what's your prediction on the series and how far they can go in this postseason? Well, I, I think they should, can win this series, and I think it should be, you know, in, in six games or something, five or six games. I, I, you know, I, I have – I know they – Started the re-entry kind of listlessly. Um, I maybe have too too much trust in in their room, but I, I just think they are the better team in, in this regard. 
um, or in, in this matchup. Uh, I think in terms of how far they can go, um, you know, anything and everything is on the table, uh, and that includes losing to the Islanders, but it also includes going to the Stanley Cup Finals because um, you don't really have to think about, well, would they have home field, uh, home ice advantage in the second round? I mean, all that is kind of out the window. Um, and I think there are X factors because of the specifics of how this is going to play out that we don't know. Like, is is there a team that fed off the crowd more than we know? How are they going to handle this continued existence in this bubble, which right now, you know, has only been for a few weeks, but as you go deeper and deeper, you're, you're talking about um, being away from your family and other support structure um, for a long, long time. Um, I think, I think it's just hard to predict what players and, and individually and what teams collectively will handle these unprecedented circumstances well and, and what, which ones might not. Um, are, they have a roster that if they click and, if, as I said, if their goalie is the best version of themselves, can beat anybody out there. But they're not such overwhelming favorites um, that they, they can just, you know, kind of go through the motions and, and make it happen. I, I'm curious as, you know, I watch this game, you know, cover it from afar. I'm curious as to how locked in I'll be um, given that the circumstances are so different. Will will it be like, oh, wow, yeah, look at the, that was a bad call. They got, you know, screwed on that penalty or um, is it, look at the power play is working so well or they need to fix this or, or is the, the weirdness of it all going to override all those normal sports thoughts. I, yeah. I, I can't say before it starts. You know, you, you just um, – uh, I, I want to get to the skins, the, the Washington football team and all, all the stuff that's been going on, especially with the owner in particular. But, you know, you're, um, you're a columnist. You're not on the beat for a lot of these things, but your life professionally has changed significantly. You don't get to go and be in locker rooms. You don't get to talk face-to-face with a lot of the people that you're writing about. Um, how has it impacted what you do? Well, it's a huge, huge impact. And, I mean, you know, I could talk about it for hours and, and bore people, but it's a sausage. I'm going to write about it, um, you know, kind of as part of this Caps column, which won't be a normal, like, hey, they jumped out to a good start, and, and boy, does Tom Wilson look good, and if they play like this, they'll sweep the Islanders or, or whatever you more, normally might do if you're sitting in the press box um, on F Street. Um, but there's a real fundamental part of my job, the beat writer's job, everybody else in town's job that is um, has evaporated because of the virus. And I'm not, uh, I want to be clear, I'm not whining about this. I am dealing with the circumstances um, that uh, we're dealt with and that we're, you know, we can't talk to these people in person for health and safety reasons. I'm totally, totally fine with that. That said, um, it really, and, and to me and for me, it impacts me most in, in baseball um, because that's a clubhouse that right. I've been in a lot. I, I know a lot of the characters. I can, um, you can get people uh, one-on-one. Um, I went to the Nats last week um, for the Scherzer start that he um, came out of. And, uh, you know, you get Dave Martinez by Zoom and you get Max Scherzer by Zoom and you get Juan Soto by Zoom and everybody has the same material. Um, 
there's no kind of chatting up the hitting coach. There's no on, you know, during that batting practice, like run into Mike Rizzo and chat for 10 minutes. All the stuff that adds that, that the readers don't know the access matters. That's all stripped, stripped away. And kind of everybody is provided with the same material and there's no advantage for people who have been around and know people. And, um, uh, it's, it's just, it's just different. So it's having a huge impact on, on how I do my job. And, and it'll be interesting to see after getting through today, um, am I going to, you know, normally in the hockey playoffs, like at least from the decisive game of, of round one, I'm all in, I'm, I'm on the road in the second round. And, and, you know, you're getting a column every, every game and it becomes my job for however long they're in the playoffs. Um, I wonder if that'll be the case going forward, how much uh, time and effort we're going to be putting into game columns on, on the caps when you can't really get it. I'm, I'm going to be watching them from my couch, not in Toronto, and I'm not going to be talking to these people live. It's definitely different. Yeah, I mean, and I've talked to Tommy about this as well, but the one thing, you know, that you do have and those like you have that are good is your, you've got your writing talent and skill, and then you've got your creativity, you know, ability. I mean, I, what you guys do as a columnist is similar in many ways to what a, a talk show host does. I mean, there, there's a creative element to coming up with, well, what's today's column? You know, in, in the case of a three-hour radio show, sometimes, you know, what are today's three columns, you know, that we can sort of be creative about and create, you know, uh, enough of, 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 a, of a reaction to get people to call in or whatever, but you've always had that. I mean, and that's a, that's a big advantage over. The, so, it, so that, yeah, I, I'm not discounting that, but what I think the way I look at it is, okay, if I'm writing three or four times in a week, um, in a in a normal week, is is one of them re- relying on the creative idea or you know, hey, have you thought of it this way? Kind of thing is another relying on, okay, I have a really good relationship with X athlete in town or um, executive or coach or whatever, and I've got some, um, I mean, I used to try to do this with Bryce Harper. I joke with him, like, okay, let's do Bryce Unplugged like twice a year, and, and he'd kind of, you know, cut open a vein, and, and you'd have stuff that um, that you wouldn't get somewhere else. Sure, so it, it, the it, access As I look one. at it, exactly. So there's some, like, okay, I know this team and this history really well. I can write it strong because I know that there's some, like, I know the character, so maybe he'll say something to me that he wouldn't say somewhere else. And then there's the, the other idea that this is totally out of the box and, and I'm thinking of a creative. So anyway, it's just the mix changes up and the circumstances are different and, and I'm going to do the best sure. job to the best of my ability, but it's just going to be different. Do you find, um, do you find that, that the teams themselves understand that what you just described, which is the access column, you know, the 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 ability to have have and develop these relationships and have the ability to sit one on one. Do you think these teams recognize that they it's in it's to their benefit to continue to attempt, even if it's by personal Zoom or personal call, to give you that access? Well, so I do think they they do understand that um, broadly. I mean, I think if if you really want to get into this there's a, my colleagues and I have a, a large fear that you know when we get on the other side of the pandemic you know are we ever going to be in a, a locker room again is, is is it going to be such an easy thing to take away because 
they had to take it away for a while. And, and then I'll be sitting there on the side as somebody who has no financial interest in, you know, the success of the Washington Nationals or the success of MLB or any of these teams. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a sweet holder. I'm not a sponsor. I'm not paying for any of this access. I'm just asking for it because that's the way it's always been. Um, I think realistically from a league and team standpoint, it would be um, a, a thing that they could take away. You have to, I would have to implore, and we've ha- I've had some of these discussions with league and team officials uh, already, that the better stories, the truer stories, are uh, written and told um, when the subject over time feels comfortable with the person who's going to do the, right. the storytelling. So um, is that enough to tilt the needle in, in our favor? I, I have no idea, but um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, it, it just makes sense that if, you know, athlete A is comfortable with reporter B, um, that the story is going to be a lot closer to the truth and, and a lot more open. Um, and that matters in, to me, that matters in um, fans understanding how these athletes work and, and, and who they are. It matters in um, providing fodder for radio hosts who might read something and say, well, that was interesting. I hadn't seen it that way. Sure. I'm talking about it with my listeners now, but I'm also calling the reporter and saying, well, hey, how did that come about? Um, it's all content that helps drive. The, it's not my goal to drive attention to these these teams, um, but it, it, that's part of the outcome, right? If we're writing about them and people find it interesting and they're engaged with the, the team, um, some of what their their understanding of how the team works is going to come from um, the kind of stuff that we do. That you know, for which I think access is, is important. You know, it's funny because. <clears throat> You, you said that you don't have anything vested in the outcome of the teams. You know, you're not a sweet holder, you're not a sponsor, etc. But I, I feel like the, there is personal benefit when these teams do well. Now, I'm a fan and I'm not a journalist. And so part of what I do is it's opinion, but there is absolutely no downside. In fact, it's encouraged to express um, what you are passionate about and who you're a fan of. But don't you believe that for anybody in sports media, it's much better when the local teams win and win big? So what my – yes, there's no – I mean – uh, I mean, I think it's a layered answer, but if I was, if we had five seconds, I would say yes, that is, that is true. Um, when I covered the football team, uh, as part of our beat crew out there, uh, which is now, you know, eight or 10 years ago, um, the, the interesting storylines that were going to get readers were either, you know, 11 and five and go into the, to the playoffs and, RG three is is um, on the rise, or three and thirteen. What you didn't want was seven and nine, nine and seven missed the playoffs because then it's just kind of like, eh. Well, um, so then take that to take the idea of how much um, our success and our jobs is predicated on the success of the of the teams. Go to the Caps in two thousand eighteen. I went into that playoffs thinking 
the story has to change. I wanted them to, if, I, if I'm most honest with myself, I wanted them to push past Pittsburgh right. because I didn't know if I could pull up another, uh, oh, my God, yeah. disappointed against Pittsburgh column again. Of I, course. I, I've said this before. I'm at the risk of plagiarizing myself from in the past. Right. That, that, was, that was true with the Nationals last year. It's like, do I care whether they go deep in the playoffs? I mean, I care to the extent that it that it affects my life and my logistics. And and yes, it would be cool to cover a World, World Series in, in my hometown. But what needed to change was the story. Howie Kendrick needed to hit that grand slam against the Dodgers because without that, there's just another Game Five dud for this franchise that is repeating. You know, it's just on you know wash, rinse, and repeat cycle. So, so I want the story to be different. I want the story to. Um, be engaging, and and if that means that the the local teams you know have to do well after years of doing poorly, then that's totally fine. Uh, so let's move to the wash, rinse, and repeat you know story of the last twenty one years, which would be the local yeah. football team. Um, uh, as an aside, we always felt the same way that you know eleven and five was really good for us, but um, eight and eight wasn't unless there was a lot of controversy, and that five and eleven, if it if it bred a ton of controversy, was okay. What I have realized in recent years is that because there's been such an erosion of you know that hardcore um, base that three and thirteen's no good anymore. <laughs> you know that that at this point, at this point, winning is about the only thing that's going to. I mean, look, look at the attendance, look at the television ratings. You know, we see it in in our world when it comes to football season and the sponsor excitement, the advertiser excitement, and sometimes that has nothing to do with ratings. It has to do with whether or not. The, the you know the the local uh, you know advertising community believes in the football team or not um, and right. believes there will be you know ears and eyeballs on it so anyway um, so about this football team yeah. I think I think the last month and a half two months have been absolutely stunning and remarkable you know me I'm a lifelong fan born and raised in this city have been doing this for 17 years and talking about the team was a part of the broadcast, you know, pregame show for 13 right. seasons. And I don't think I've ever seen anything happen so quickly, so swiftly uh, with the name change, with the, the, the story in your paper that was, you know, incredibly damaging mm-hmm. with the lead up to it before I get specifically to this Snyder stuff. Cause I wanted to get your thoughts on this. You've been covering this team forever as well. It's an it, it it's been a remarkable couple of months. What what's your reaction to it, Ben? Well, it certainly has been, and I think that um, you know, start with the name change. Um, that was a drip, drip, drip thing over years. Obviously, with various um, people complaining about it, others sticking up for it. Um, the owner saying it would never all caps change, um, but it really you know, showed that what was happening in the country can have a direct impact on um, people that have previously just dug in their, their heels on, on stuff. So, so while that was like, it felt really sudden at the end, it, it, it was, you know, really had built over years. And then after George Floyd's death, I think the country, you know, felt different about all that stuff. Certainly, um, 
FedEx and, and Pepsi and, and the sponsors that came out, um, you know, I, I don't think the owner would have changed the name if, if there hadn't been a, a real financial shift. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure he was particularly concerned about the societal shift that had happened uh, over the last couple of months. But that felt like a pivot point. It also feels like a pivot point because, um, you know, not for the first time, uh, they have changed the football leadership and, and are talking about um, a real change of, of culture. And it does seem like Juan Rivera uh, has been given an extraordinary amount of power, probably more power than he anticipated, given that, you know, the, the statements that they've put out have said he's going to help try to figure out what the name should be. And, and you know, who knows whether he wanted those responsibilities, but he, but before he coaches a game here, he, he has been. So there's, there's an opportunity for um, a pivot here that is also enhanced by, at some point, the, the stadium thing is going to have to work out. And, and so if you're, if you're talking about a, a team that is completely rebranded in terms of what its name is and what its apparel is going to look like and, and all of that, with a coach who I think it's fair to say before he coaches the game is engendering more hope than um, skepticism uh, with, you know, a quarterback that I don't think the fan base is a hundred percent behind, but I think, you know, uh, is willing to think has a, a fairly significant upside with the idea that the stadium that everybody hates and um, has been reluctant to go to, to see a lousy product because it's not a good in, in game experience or game day experience, even if the product is good, um, if you're able to package all of that um, and and get people around here, you know, in on the idea that the, the franchise is headed in a in a different direction, um, then maybe it can work. I think it's it's hard until you see results because the the fan base I think would lean back on. But the owner's still the same, and and that is what I lean back on. I'm I'm skeptical about results, right? Um, because that's the thing that probably needs to change, and that's the one thing that hasn't. But there's a lot of things that I think you would say, okay, they've turned in a different direction on a lot of fronts. Um, maybe that's a, a reason to hope that results will be different. So. That leads me to the owner. It's a perfect segue. I, I tend to agree with you um, as someone who has wagered, made a wager or two over his lifetime. If you told yeah. me I had to wager on whether or not this franchise turns it around and becomes a sustained winner, I, I would wager against it as long as he is the owner. Um, I've got 21 years of data to support that, you know, and justify um, that wager. So I think the last couple of days have been another interesting and fascinating couple of days. Snyder sues this company, this media company, for basically a disinformation campaign leading up to the Liz and Will Dobson story in your paper, you know, which is now, what, a month ago. Um, and we know about the incredible speculation and internet, you know, rampant rumors that were flying around, him tied to Jeffrey Epstein, sex trafficking, you know, bribing NFL referees. It was crazy, the lead-up to that. Um, and then the story came out, and, uh, you know, we're, we're here a month later, and he's suing this company. But more importantly, and this is really where it took an, an incredible twist, and this is from Will Hobson's story in your paper yesterday, or two days ago now, um, 
Snyder accused a former team employee in a federal court filing of being involved in that internet misinformation campaign. Mary Ellen Blair, who was a former executive assistant to Snyder, they're accusing of acting as an intermediary for unnamed adversaries that Snyder thinks paid this India-based online news company to publish these false stories that week. And it links back to a company that uh, potentially could link back to Comstock Holdings, which is owned by Dwight Shar's son-in-law, and his daughter is a senior VP at the company and sits on the company's board of directors. I think this is one of the more interesting stories because, you know, the story, uh, Barry, about the three minority owners wanting to sell, which is now basically two months old, has Mm -hmm. really not been updated there's been no follow-up to Fred Smith, Dwight Shar, Bob Rothman wanting to get away from Snyder and sell their 40% stake. And now you've got this particular thing out there. What is your reaction to this? And do you think that this is perhaps another future bombshell? Well, so I would say that to me, um, it sounds like the owner being backed into a corner, um, a bunch of bad publicity in terms of the the culture in the building that if he didn't create it, he certainly didn't stop it from happening in terms of all the um, sexual harassment stuff that was the original uh, Will Hudson was Clark story, um, that he feels maligned. And in in my mind, um, this suit seems one conspiratorial, like to to a degree where you almost have to put a flow chart out to say like, okay, wait, who's Dwight Shars? Like, what relation owns what? And who, you know, is related in the ex um, personal assistant in in what way? Um, that sounds to me paranoid. Um, it also, you know, this suit, and this happened when he sued Washington City Paper a, a long time ago. For somebody who's um, at some level of success, at least a financial success, not with the NFL team, but but he, he made one good decision that made him wealthy yes. uh, for years and, you know, for the rest of his life. Um, why get down in the weeds on something like this? It really only serves to um, extend the life of the story. It won't, I don't think, help, um, help him in the eyes of, of fans. It will serve to make him look more defensive and, and paranoid um, and also put the focus on something that I think is, is true. Um, I think we used to know a little bit about who Dan Snyder's inner circle was, and, and it was, um, you know, Bruce Allen for, for a decade, but it was also Dwight Shar and, and Fred Smith uh, and, and the minority, minority owners who would sit in that uh, box on on Sundays, and I, I always thought, and I don't know Fred Smith uh, at all, um, but you know, a, a successful person with with FedEx and and really with you know um, a great reputation. I always wondered why why did guys like that who right. don't need success by association, who don't need to enhance their own reputation why have they chosen to partner up with snyder and so you know in in the story you're talking about with the lawsuit and stuff it instead of saying like making me think 
Well, Dan has a good point. I bet you there are people off, you know, um, ghost stuff to get him on the internet, and and that's really unfair. It makes me think more about why why were those guys associated with Snyder in the first place, and and now they're trying to get out. It makes me think like who who is um, who is advising him, and and not to make this about politics, but but I do think there's a um, you know, just in terms of the way the current president reacts to criticism and and dismisses people who start to not agree with him, there's I see some of those same behaviors in in these stories with with Snyder that um, he doesn't like think it uh, out. Well, and he doesn't like um, to be combative. He wants he wants yes men around. So yeah. that's that's. I mean, maybe that's a reach, but the, it makes me think that kind of stuff. So there's something really interesting about this story, too, um, and it leads back to Will and Liz's piece. Um, the irony is that he's going after the people that created these false rumors leading up to the Post story, which was a wild week, and I forget if we've even talked about the lead-up to that no, and why I, that I happened. Um, but the irony of this is, and bear with me here, is that actually mm-hmm. that wild internet speculation that tied him to Epstein, that talked about sex trafficking and bribing NFL referees and abusing drugs, et cetera, et cetera, made the actual story, which by the way, as a standalone entity was very damaging, very damaging. If that story had been dropped on everybody's phone at four o'clock on that Thursday afternoon with no buildup, it would have been an oh wow moment. But in their mind's eye, it's twisted. But I, I've seen the letters that went out from their sales and marketing department two days after the story, essentially attaching the story to a letter that said, all of those internet rumors, they weren't true. What is true is the attached story from the Washington Post. That that's incredible to me. They essentially felt and, and took a deep, I think, exhale that week. Again, the story, trust me, I understand what it was. 15 women, not one, not two, 15. But the irony is that speculation actually made things in their own mind better for them when the actual story came out. Well, and so I'll tell you, you know, my conspiracy theory on all the you know wind up to it um was that it actually came from inside the the (laughs) inside the football team's building because they were trying to kneecap the impact of the story before it came out so you know i don't i'm not privy to all the logistics of how um of how that came about but i will say that you know if you're going to accuse a, a company or accuse employees of specific um, behavior, um, you have to go to them and say, here's what we have. Um, what is your response? And their response, appropriately, was to fire Alex Santos. And, you know, Larry Michael apparently very quickly decided he was too old for his job. Um, and, and so those there was going to be some trickle out of information because in the course of reporting, you have to allow the accused, the accused to respond. And so there were some data points of things that had happened, like why have they fired these, these people um, that led to a little bit of like, 
room for speculation. My concern was that the rumors were to get so wild that the fan base would um, shrug its shoulders when the when the uh, when the story came out. To Will and Liz's um, undying credit, uh, they had lots of good information in there. It was locked down. It had already led to changes in the organization. Um, and there's no one who could read it and say that you might say like, oh, well, it doesn't get to the owner, but there's nobody who would say like, that's not a story. That's a story. It was a story. It led to change. That's great. What it didn't, what, what I think would have been better, not just from a human standpoint, but from a PR standpoint, would have been better for the owner instead of suing some media company and putting out uh, and acknowledging these rumors. I think it would have been better saying, as it's always been better for him to say, if, if he showed some level of yeah. um, contrition or culpability and mm. said, I was blind to these issues, they occurred on my watch, I need to create a better environment for everybody to work here, I value a safe workplace, I want a happy workforce, we're all going to be better going forward, that would be the way to go about it. He either is incapable of doing that, um, has no one advising him uh, that maybe that would be a good path, um, or is just so angry about it being forced to make these changes that, that he's going to lash out legally rather than saying, I understand that these issues were, were really painful for a lot of people. There's no doubt that that is 100% true. And for those of you listening who argue with me, um, and there's just a few of you out there, Understand that what Barry said, and, and I've mentioned this before too, there is an inability, an arrogance, perhaps a total lack of self-awareness and an ability to take personal accountability for anything. It's never his fault. The statement that came out after this story was not an apology and was not a personal accountability or responsibility for it. It was, we've hired Beth Wilkinson to investigate. It's the opposite of what Mark Cuban did. And Mark Cuban came out, ironically, a few days after that and said, whoever knows Dan Dan Snyder should tell him you got to apologize and you got to take responsibility but it's never been Barry for 21 years never been his fault um, and that's why the wager against you know sustained excellence as a football organization is the right wager uh, because you know at 55 56 years old it's really tough to change you know it really yeah. is um, well and I agree with you about the bet. I mean, uh, as much of the things I talk and I about hope I'm wrong. Point, yeah, I mean, but but you the and I, I some of that I say because I don't want to be overwhelmingly negative with everything that happens with the football team. I mean, I, I want to be able to look and see things that are are positive, and I do think there are things that are positive. But if I'm talking to you on this podcast, if I'm talking to friends over beers, if if you get down to the truth of of the matter, I I am extremely. Uh, suspicious that um, there can be any sort of sustained success under under current ownership. Do you think there's more? Let's put the Rivera and the culture change. You know that he's trying um, to create on the football side. Do you think there's more based on these stories here over the last week? Do you think there's more turmoil ahead? I mean, again, if I'm at Vegas and that's offered a, a, a yes, no, black, white. Um, Offering, I'm I'm certainly going to bet on there's there's more to come because you know uh, having been around here for 
17 years, there, there always seems more to come. And I, again, you know, we're talking about these current things from from this summer. Um, and is this the craziest time for this football team? Um, I'll always go back to, you know, standing there um, as they introduced a midseason change in an offensive coordinator to make play calling on a on a Wednesday. Um, and, you know, the gentleman in front of us, when we asked what he was doing last week, he said he was calling bingo games at a retirement home. So, <laughs> so there's no, and that that's an a all-timer. true story. And, and yeah, yeah. And, and so there's different versions of that over the years. Yeah, that was one of my all-time favorites, especially when the then general manager, one Vincent Serrato, didn't know anything about him but but mentioned on a conference call with reporters that I happened to have been on. But I do know that his father used to coach at Eastern Michigan. <laughs> that, that, was, right. that was the That's answer. Right. That, was, that was a beauty. Um, yep. All right, you know how much I appreciate this. I, I did not mean to keep you this long. By the way, I just, I'm sitting here. The Masters just announced no spectators at the event, no yep. patrons. No patrons uh, for the Masters in November. Have you been? I've been enjoying the golf. I really enjoyed last weekend. Have you as well? Yes, yes, for sure. And and as I, I mentioned on Twitter, I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, if I'm not covering the event, a huge fan of the West Coast major. Oh, the uh, best. Being able to plop down on a Friday Friday night and watch golf until nine thirty or ten o'clock is is uh, is special. I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, we need Tiger to play a little bit more. Uh, that would be better. Yeah, that would be better. Um, thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Stay stay well. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Kevin. Anytime. That was awesome with Barry. Uh, really appreciate the time from him. Uh, he does such a good job with his column uh, in the post. Uh, quick word, real quickly, from Indochino. All right, I wanted to finish up with the news from earlier this morning uh, that the Washington football team uh, is not going to have fans at FedEx Field for the upcoming season. They did say that the decision will be reevaluated by all parties should the situation surrounding the pandemic improve over the course of the season. Um, There was a super long quote from the owner in the press release that they put out on this. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen more words from the owner in a press release um, over a long period of time. It's probably been a while. Um, But he um, said, quote, we are fortunate to host the best fans in the NFL year after year. Uh, but the well-being of those supporters along with that of our players, coaches, and each and every member of our game day staff is simply too important. And the current knowledge of COVID-19 too unpredictable to welcome our fan base to FedEx Field to start the season. Uh, he then takes credit for being the first team in the league to recall our scouts and other personnel from the field back in mid-March and have been moder- monitoring this evolving situation ever since. Uh, and then it goes on and on. Anyway, um, Of course, the jokes came uh, rushing in when the team put this out on their Twitter account uh, this morning, um, putting the release out that they're not going to have fans at FedEx Field, um, you know, uh, one after another because of how the, the stadium is essentially really last year at times 
one-seventh filled. I mean, literally, there were games in which maybe ten to 15,000 people were in that stadium. Um, but the the responses that they uh, they got on Twitter, I mean, were just one after another. You know, not necessarily bad news. That means the fans of the opposing team will be unable to attend the games. Uh, Washington football team been socially distancing for years. Uh, and on and on it went. You know, I actually was thinking about this. And I, I think I mentioned this before at some point. This is a break for them. I know it sounds weird, but this is an actual break for the Washington football team to not essentially be allowed, if you will, um, by the state, by the county, um, and and by the way, taking good you know health uh, measures anyway to restrict fan um, attendance. This is the year not to have it. You know, you weren't going to have a significant number of people there anyway. No matter what we all believe about Ron Rivera being the right guy and maybe a little bit of juice around the the roster and his ability to coach it up and an opener against Philadelphia and, you know, could they go from last to first? You know, will the coaching staff be the big difference? What will Chase Young look like? You know, the second overall pick, Dwayne Haskins, etc. The bottom line is they were really struggling before the pandemic to sell any tickets for the 2020 season. Um, You've had a name change, which for many of the fans, and I would say at least a slight majority uh, of the fans, if not more than a slight majority, are really angry and hurt right now. Um, And so this gives more time for that to cool off a little bit. You would have had a lot of angered, saddened fans that either didn't show or if they did were going out of their way to make their feelings um, really felt on the name change. And now you put that into delay mode. And by the time you get to live fans at FedEx, it's going to be very much in the rear view and you will have already played a full season without that name. Um, You combine that with what was going to be a half-filled stadium at best with a significant percentage of opposing fans there, especially when you played the teams like Baltimore's a home game, Philly, New York, etc. It's actually not a bad result for the home team. You know, financially, no matter who they sell tickets to, you know, it's a revenue generator and it's tough to sell corporate sponsors for naming rights and 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 various signage around a stadium when no one is there. So financially, it's not a good thing for them. But in every other aspect of it, it's actually not a bad thing. It also gives them some time to, you know, start what they uh, are finished, what they've already started, which is to remake the stadium and to remove all of the references to the Redskins, which they've already started that process. And it's apparently quite the process. I was talking to somebody um, in the know uh, about a week ago uh, about the cost to essentially de-brand you know, to take it off of every chair, off of every building, off of every wall, in every locker room, on every locker, whether it's the logo or the name. It's a very expensive process and a process that takes a while um, to get done. Um, so ultimately, no fans at FedEx Field. There weren't going to be many to begin with. 
Now, what you do miss out on the possibility of is if the team is better than we think, you know, a momentum build during the year and the possibility that even though maybe those first few home games against the the Ravens game would have been packed. Now, we know that with Baltimore fans. They get to at least avoid that. But, you know, perhaps by the time you got to October, you know, if they were sitting there at 5-2 and two and Rivera's being talked about as, you know, the coach of the year and you got a home game against the Cowboys, now you got a chance. You know, late in the season, you know, you got a game against the, the Seahawks and it's a, a big game for playoff possibilities, you got a chance. But um, going into it, I think that there may be some benefit to this being forced uh, upon them um, to not have fans and to almost take a year off when it comes to what has been just an ugly scene at FedEx Field uh, for the last couple of years. All right, a Caps prediction. I think they beat the Islanders. I don't. Most of you know I'm not. A, I'm far from a hockey uh, expert. Nowhere near it. It's it's the at the bottom of of my passions when it comes to sports. I do love the postseason in the NHL, but I've talked to a couple of friends of mine who are into it. Um, I've looked at some of the gambling stuff. There's a lot of action on the Islanders uh, in this series, so I like the Caps to win this series. Uh, a, a lot of people have predicted seven games. Barry didn't. I'll go with Barry that the Caps win this series in a shorter, you know, five, six game kind of a thing. All right, we're done for the day. Back tomorrow.